This podcast is brought to you by Two More Reps Coffee Beans. Get your two more reps with this natural pre-workout. Buy your bag at twomoreps.com.au. Welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today we bring you episode number 77 and I've got a very special guest with me today. Jonathan Goodman is bringing the fitness industry together. Since 2011, he's published 11 books, welcomed over 20 million visitors to his website, sold over 250,000 educational items to the health and fitness industry. Um, He is a pioneer in this industry and I'm very lucky to have him on the podcast this morning. So without further ado... Let's get on with it. Okay, Jonathan Goodman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, can we take a minute to talk about how Zoom decided to update itself for absolutely no goddamn reason? <laughs> I, I got that this morning as well. Why? Like, why? Like, I all the moving the, the ad your guest or participant to like a button at the top and changing yep. the voice of the woman who tells you the meeting's going to be recorded. Like to me, all the, oh, that's just engineers being bored, having to justify their life, like having yeah. to justify their job, not their life, having to justify their job. Justify like, that's the all that that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. It's so true. Anyway, Leslie has a beautiful voice. I'm glad that she told me that the meeting was going to be recorded and Leslie, you're doing a bang up job. <laughs> Leslie, Siri, they're all, they're all the same. It's all good. They're all the same. <laughs> they're all the same. All right. So, um, so welcome, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. And, um, you know, for those that uh, listen to my podcast that are unfamiliar with you, which uh, shouldn't be many, but do you want to uh, just elaborate on how you got into the fitness industry, how, how, how it all started for you and, and what brings you to this point today? Sure. I will gloss over my last 20 years of my life. <laughs> I was 15. I'm Canadian, so I was playing ice hockey because uh, okay. that's what Canadians do. Hockey, by the way, can we talk about this for a minute? Yeah. Hockey is not on goddamn grass. Can we talk about that? That's not that's not hockey. Hockey, <laughs> you strap knives to your feet and you project yourself across a sheet of ice and you hit a piece of frozen rubber into a net and try not to get punched in the face. That's hockey. To, okay, there was a fight at some stage. Yeah, we don't we don't have yeah ours. There's no knives. There's no uh, fights, and it's all grass. And it's all grass. You guys get hit with the sticks a lot, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. So I was playing hockey, and I got, I got slew-footed, which basically means I got tripped and, uh, and, and got injured. Uh, that's, that's a little bit farther along. I basically just stopped wanting to get beat up playing hockey, so I started lifting weights. Okay. And, then, um, and then, you know, I was in high school, so I wanted to get laid, and I, you know, I thought that lifting weights would help. And, uh, and it didn't because I, it took me about 10 years to figure this out that girls don't actually care that much about biceps. But <laughs> what, what I did figure out was that, um, girls actually like confidence. And because for the previous 10 years, you know, as I was growing my biceps, I was getting more confidence. I was getting girls. So in a way, the biceps did kind of get the girls, but it was only because of dumb teenage stuff and not understanding, um, what, what girls actually liked. So anyway, it's weird. It took me a long time to figure that out. But, um, but I was, I was lifting weights for a long time and I studied exercise science at university, started personal training clients at, at university and 
got like by the time I was 21 years old, I had a I had a kinesiology degree. I told you I actually did a semester in Australia. So I did a student exchange at at Vic Uni in Melbourne, interestingly enough. And um, by the time I was 21 years old, I had three years of experience training at training clients at the university gym while studying kinesiology. So I was like pretty prepared personal trainer, but started training clients full time. And by the time I was 23, was managing a group of trainers at our club as the senior trainer. Um, earning as much as you could earn as a personal trainer in Toronto at the time, like charging $97 an hour, 40 hours a week, earning a commission for my overloader clients, getting a salary from the senior trainer gig as well. And, um, and, and it was, it was interesting because it was like, I'm 23 years old. Is this what my life is going to be like? Like, where do I go from here? Right. I think what happens, what a lot of folks maybe don't talk about as much, is that the, the type of mentality that gets somebody to a point where they're like successful in an entrepreneurial role is the exact type of mentality that is the opposite of what they need to continue to grow within that role, right? Like, like right. I always wanted to do something new. I always wanted to expand or try new stuff or whatever it is. It's like, no, I should have probably just done that for a while. Yeah, and, uh, and anyway, so, you know, started, wrote a book for trainers at 24, mm-hmm. started a website to promote the book. Um, the, the things just kind of started to get away from me from there. I don't know the, the website now was, it's called the personal trainer development center. We've reached 20 million people on that site, uh, since 2011, the book is still the top ranking book, um, on Amazon for personal trainers. And we're actually doing a 10 year anniversary. Uh, just, just sign the, sign the papers, basically signed on with my editor yesterday. Interestingly that's enough. That's, I did see that. that. Post. So yeah, we're going to do. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're going to do a 10-year anniversary for that out in May. And I mean, since then, it's just, I mean, I've just kind of been making it up as I went. You know, I've put out 11 books, a certification, five conferences, four digital programs. We're coming out with software. (laughs) We're coming out with a new course platform. I don't know. It's just fun. (laughs) Using the analogy that you just gave before about uh, growing your biceps to get girls, do you feel that that confidence has evolved through your career as well like the the more success you've had the more success you got no i think getting kicked in the teeth a lot has has given me that confidence Um, (laughs) i mean if you think about it like courage is something that i'm fascinated by and and courage forms when you fail right Mm. because failing and, and and you know missing your shot let's say is almost never as bad as you imagine it to be like Like if you've actually done anything, I use the analogy of getting stung by a bee, like getting stung by a bee is a petrifying thought before you actually get stung by a bee. And then you get stung by a bee and you're like, well, that sucked, but I'm fine. You're not really that scared of bees anymore. (laughs) It's kind of of the same thing Mm. where as long as you take managed risks, and this is a whole other conversation, but I think, I think understanding asymmetric risk is a very important thing, basically where um, your, you know, one win will outweigh many losses and you can lose a lot of times and have one win. Um, And I, you know, I follow that principle with my education as well. Like I'm not going to do a, I'm going to spend $400 and 10 hours of my time. I'm not going to learn about MMA fitness, right? I'm going to learn a transferable skill. I'm going to learn how to write. I'm going to learn how to market. Like, like I'm going to learn skills that are going to serve me in bigger ways than one tiny thing in one exact tiny situation. And so um, it, it's, it's kind of the same kind of mindset, but the idea of it all is like, if, if you can, 
like if you try stuff and it doesn't work out, you realize that it actually isn't that big of a deal that stuff doesn't work out, mm. right? Like failing is almost never as bad as our mind makes it. So, I mean, this isn't anything new to me. Like Seneca once said, if you fear, if, if you wish to stave off all fear, imagine that the worst that can happen most definitely will happen. Yes. Basically, imagine the worst case scenario, mm. because when you do, when you visualize the worst case scenario, you're usually like, that actually ain't so bad. What am I scared of? Yes. If you never do that, what you imagine, even though you can't really describe it, feels really scary. And so courage basically forms when you try a bunch of stuff and get kicked in the teeth a lot and it doesn't work out because then you're like, well, that wasn't that bad. Yep. Or, you know, somebody hates you on the internet. And then you go home, beautiful wife, and you're like, well, I don't really give a shit about that guy anymore. <laughs> you know, it's just like not a big deal. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, I don't even remember what your question was. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I, I just love the flow of this. This is great. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the state of the health and fitness industry because you've obviously seen it evolve over, you know, a n- number of years now. And obviously, in the current climate, there's a lot of hurdles that people are facing, a lot of, um, limitations and things like that and and it may be slightly different um where you are to obviously us in australia but uh, i'd love your take on it at the moment but also where you see it heading in the future obviously digital platforming online coaching all that sort of stuff is just at the forefront at the moment so i'd love your take on that it's actually really interesting australia and canada largely grew up about at the same time more or less by the same people yep it was it was fascinating being in Melbourne because I was walking down the street and I was like, this is Toronto. Yeah. Like even down to the street signs look the same. Really? The way the cities yeah, well. are organized. Yeah, it's it's very similar. I mean, aside from the fact that you all talk funny, it's <laughs> it's 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 actually very, very similar, right? And so um so there's actually a lot of similarities. The the one major difference is I find Australians are much more aggressive. Okay. Um and not in a bad way. Yep. Right. They're just they're just more aggressive, which maybe just has to do with the fact that you live in an island in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, you kind of have to be. But in terms of responding, because we, we sell a lot to Australia, right, because Australia is such an avid fitness market. So um, and it's it's interesting because the types of marketing messages that Australians respond to seems to be different. They put up with a lot less bullshit. Yeah, true. Americans put up Americans respond to bullshit. <laughs> In marketing, <laughs> they they live they live by it. Yeah. Um, but Australians are just like, dude, get out of here. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's that difference. Um, but in terms of where it's going, Australia seems to be a lot more digital. It always kind of has been, and I think that's just kind of in its DNA. Like yeah. it kind of has to be, mm. right? You can't. I mean, aside from maybe hopping over to, I mean, Tasmania, you know, obviously it's a part of Australia technically, but not really. And then New Zealand, like, is that really anywhere for you to go? That isn't really, really far. That's right. Um, compare that to Europe, mm. to use a very extreme example. I mean, they can hop on a train and go through five countries in a day. Yeah, that's right. Um, Canada, Canada is, I mean, Canada's big, but it, we have the United States that we can access relatively easily. So the, the fitness, the fitness makeup, Australians are also just generally very good looking people. 
So that lends itself well. Like a lot of influencers and stuff like that are coming out of Australia. They're just very very good looking people who are always in bathing suits, who are always in the sun. Um, So you see that a lot more. So, you know, Australia is very visual. Australia seems to be almost leading the charge in like the sex appeal kind of area fitness, you know, like there's different kind of, kind of games. And, um, and I think that's because, I think that's because of two reasons. I mean, I don't know whether there's any legitimacy behind this. This is just my assessment, but like generally very good looking people, men and women. Hmm. Right. And also have always been at the forefront of technology kind of because they had to. Yes. And so they were early adopters of a lot of, they were early adopters of a lot of attack. You combine that with how good looking they are. There's a lot of Australians who have been, you know, leaders. You even think of like F45 came out of Australia, right? Yeah, dude, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, from, from a very small country, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of big international fitness stuff and fitness people that have come out of there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So where, where do you see it? Like if we fast forwarded five years from now, what's the, what's the forecast? of the fitness industry do you, do you believe that there is still going to be a uh, a need for face-to-face personal training or is it going to be primarily online gyms will evolve into something new what's yeah. what, what do you believe there yeah i've got i've got pretty strong opinions on this actually okay um, i think i think two things will happen um a i think that the coach will be more important than ever yep but the the role of the personal trainer and a coach, whatever you want to call. Yeah, everybody likes to call themselves different things. But there will be a pretty serious redefinition mm. and required re-education. Absolutely. Because all of the places that are educating trainers right now are doing it with stuff that just, quite frankly, is completely irrelevant to what they do day to day. Yes. And um, and so there will be new educational bodies that will actually actively prepare people to work in the 21st century. And as a result people are going to be a lot more successful with them. And, yep. uh, and, and we're going to be doing some of that. We're not going to be doing that on a huge scale, but we're going to be doing some of the, some of the more skill-based stuff to help people navigate new technologies uh-huh. and, and whatnot. You know, like taking care of clients by leveraging new technology. Absolutely. Right? It's not about online training. It's about you have a client, you need to maximize the experience with a client where you can leverage technology. And technology's role is not to eliminate humans. Mm. Technology's role is to optimize humans, right? By eliminating the stuff that humans shouldn't do mm-hmm. so, that, so that they can show up. A lot of, a lot of trainers right now, uh, you know, are kind of glorified data entry specialists, which is, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and a lot of the way that we're taught in our, in our certifications is like rote learning. I mean- yeah. Think about even programming, like by uh, my opinion is that 98% of, you know, like, like a, like a computer algorithm can build a better program than about 98% of personal trainers. Yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is that workout programming is, is very much a mastery profession. And to reach a basic level of proficiency with it is very, very easy an algorithmic mm. it's 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 ones and zeros right if this then that client shows up with this with this goals with these restrictions can show up this many times put plug that into a computer the thing can spit out a program right That's once you get up to the top two percent or even five percent yeah then it's mastery 
But to get to that level of mastery is like 10, 15 years of experience. I mean, really, it's a top level. And for most clients, it simply doesn't matter. Yep. Because most clients, I mean, really, unless you're trying to put somebody on stage or on a podium or perform at the highest level, mm. stuff doesn't really matter. People just kind of got to get moving a little bit more. And so I don't think that, uh, you know, the way that trainers kind of define their role right now is through, oh, I'm going to build program, you know, I'm going to build workers. I don't think any of that shit matters. Okay. I really don't. Mm. And I think a lot of that will be eliminated largely, and that'll be eliminated by technology. Right. And then the trainer's job is going to be the facilitator. Yeah. Right? Okay. So the motivator, the coach, the, so the, the skills and the natural attributes and the people that are going to thrive are people who are very empathetic, are people who understand motivational interviewing techniques, are people who are great at gathering people and building community and motivating people to get up off of their butts. Mm. And it'll be either technology or it'll be centralized programming. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an example. This is actually from a friend of mine. This isn't a, a John Goodman original, but I like it. It has to do with yoga. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, you have, you have uh, Betty the granola mom who lives in a small town just outside of Brisbane okay. who runs a little yoga studio. Right? It's the yoga studio in town. Okay. Betty did a uh, yoga teacher training for one weekend, one time in Bali. Yeah. Yep, and yep. then went back home and, and did. Betty is kind of shit at teaching yoga. Right? <laughs> like, but Betty is fantastic at bringing people together. Mm. Betty is fantastic at community. Betty runs a great little studio and Betty is really, really important. Then you have Peter. Okay. Peter is a stud. He's a really good looking guy. Peter has dedicated his life to yoga. Every minute of every day, he's studying yoga flows. He's practicing, right? Betty should license videos and classes from Peter. Right. Peter's job is to be the content and the instruction for a thousand Bettys mm. across the world at the same time. Yep. And then Betty brings people together locally and facilitates and tells people to keep back straights. Not completely dissimilar from what F45 did. Yeah. Right? yeah. The difference with F45 is that the programming is kind of asinine for the moment. But I mean, that's, you know, it's, it can be done very well. Mm. Right. And it doesn't have to be kind of, repetitiveness so i think f45 is a start you know i don't think but but i think that that's going to happen a lot more where you're going to have even within organizations you're going to have centralized programmers like within gym change for example Mm -hmm. you're going to have a couple people who are really really good at science obsessed with biomechanics and physiology but like kind of weird people who probably should be behind a computer and like not talk to humans that much (laughs) i know a few of them (laughs) like they should be building the workout programs for everybody. Yes. And then you have your stud trainer, male or female, Mm. who is super motivating, energetic. All that they need to know is how to keep you safe. Yeah. Which really is a pretty low level of proficiency in training, right? Yes. What they got to know is that they should be teaching, you know, Jack the you know, workout nerd, they should be teaching his programs. So 
technology will facilitate this. And I think a lot of that will happen. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more intelligent, more accessible. You know, we're we're entering a world where one teacher can teach everybody. So why would you learn from a bad teacher? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Um, I want to also take you back. So we've all been into the gym for the very first time. Everyone's gone to the gym for the first time. It's daunting. It's um, scary. It's intimidating. Um, I'd love to hear your take on, because I get this all the time and because we, you know, I get a lot of new inquiry, a lot of new clients and they they come to me because I've got a studio, not a gym. And they're fearful yeah. of going to the gym for being judged for the intimidation factor, not knowing what to do. So I'd love to know your take on how to overcome that and some steps and, and advice um, moving into that space. Because they all have the, the need and the desire to exercise and be active, but they don't want to step foot in the gym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have a good answer to this. Okay. For no other reason than, I mean, I started lifting weights when I was 15 at the local YMCA. Right. I went after school with two buddies of mine, Brandon and Trevor. And we were there supporting each other. Right. Like I remember being at the gym, there were two sections. And I mean, I was, I, I went into university 105 pounds soaking wet, right? Like I was always a smaller guy. Yeah. And I remember going into the gym and there, there were two weight areas and one of them started with the dumbbells at 20 pounds and up and the other one with the dumbbells up to 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I remember staring at the area where the dumbbells started at 20 pounds thinking, you know, one day I'll be able to lift weights in the big boy zone. <laughs> but I had my two buddies there. Yeah. Right. And they, you know, they eventually stopped and and I kept going, but, but I had them there and I've been more or less in the gym consistently for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. I don't really remember what it was like to be a beginner. And even then I was a dumb 15 year old. Like I couldn't, I don't know what was what. So to try to, to try to put myself in the, in the position of, an adult who has lived a lot of life, who this is something that they've wanted to do or thought about doing or finally yeah. want to get under control after a long period, but feels insecure and doesn't quite know what they're doing. And especially somebody who like rocks it in other areas of their life, you know, Absolutely. this is one that's lacking. Mm. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't put myself in that, in that place, you know? Okay. So this is one of those questions where, I can make up some stuff, but I, it's, it's not one that I can connect with and give any advice that I would, you know, pretend to be any kind of an expert in. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. No, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Do you think, um, given your example, uh, when you were 15, was it easier going with your buddies to the gym than had it have been on your own, even at that stage? I mean, probably, probably, I, I don't know, so long ago. Yeah. 21 years ago yeah. I have no idea I'm testing you now I mean it's it's funny because I I think back I have memories are so weird yeah you know they're, they're they're just they're fallible like nobody understands like like memories are not often what actually happened and if you ask two people who were in the same place they'll remember it vividly different ways so oh, cool. yeah 
it's it's very very difficult i mean i have all these memories of of the times back then mm. but i've also told the story so many times yep that i have no clue whether it's just because i'm telling the story i'll tell you i'll tell you a funny story about that actually okay um, when i worked in uh, just about memories and like a funny gym story so i worked at the university gym like i said at the university mm. of western ontario in, in london ontario two hours outside of toronto and i was I was a personal trainer at the gym there. And the, my fourth year was when Allison, who I'm now married to, yep. got a job as a personal trainer there. Uh, okay. And so we had actually met three years earlier when I hit on her at the YMCA, local to our house, two hours away. And uh, because she was wearing it, she was a cheerleader at the university. So she should wear a cheerleader shirt. And I'm like, I like cheerleaders. Um, so I went up to talk to her. Right? And so, so I went up to try to talk to her. And she, of course, you know, when you're just like not interested. <laughs> but we made that connection during the training for trainers. The week before school started, we all went ahead and did the training to work at the gym. Mm. And, uh, and we made this connection like, oh, my God, we've met before. This is so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Well, that's embarrassing. Uh, I hit on you and, and you weren't interested. And uh, I mean, she was seeing somebody, you know, but I think she also wasn't interested. But it's funny because I don't remember much of that training. Like I don't, we didn't know each other that well. Like we didn't know each other at all. And of course we, we remember that we were in that together, but I don't remember actually conversing with her. Mm. But our old manager, her name's Michelle Harvey. Uh, I, I've I've gone back and lectured at, the university a few times since. So I've, you know, kept in touch with her and she sent me photos. She's like, I was clearing up my desk and I found some photos. Right. And they were photos of that trading. Okay. I, I kid you not. One of the photos didn't have both of us in it. Right. But mm. in the two photos where Allison and I are both in it, I'm just eyeing her. There's like all five <laughs> people in each photo. I'm eyeing her, looking at her like she is buckshit crazy. <laughs> but like, clearly there was some sort of a connection that we had. I mean, you can just see, it's so interesting because you can just see that my focus was like right on her. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't start dating for six years. Yeah, well. She took a lot of work. But <laughs> you can break it down. <laughs> she took a lot of work. Um, so back in the day, I mean, you asked, you asked whether, you know, when I first went to gym, I think absolutely. I mean, yeah. I have, I have memories of me and Trevor and Brandon, like looking at workout magazines and talking about what we were going to do and spotting each other and like dumb stuff where I'm still more or less doing the same amount of weight on the preacher curl okay. as I did when I was 15, weighing a hundred pounds. Like, I don't even want to think about how I was doing that when I was 15. <laughs> Uh, but I think, I think for sure, I think we got our, we got each other going. We, we, we kept each other going, um, during those times and, and kind of overcame. And, um, and I think, I don't know, you know, without them, okay. whether I would have been, there. I think, I think community is massive for sure. For fitness. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Um, now you're obviously a very big part of the, the health and fitness industry. Now there's a lot of information available to everyone at the moment. Well, it has been for years, you know, um, social media, YouTube, it goes on. How, how does someone sift through all that information to get the 
correct information that they need for whatever their health and fitness journey is. So if they're like, for example, wanting to lose some weight and then they go to a magazine or they, you know, uh, it's a, that's a, it's a very open ended question, but um, it, it's something I battle with all the time with clients because it's just so much overwhelming information out there. They don't know what's true, what's not, what's made up, what's fictional. Do you have any sort of, advice in regards to how to sift through the world of information and find what is suited to the person that they that they need for uh, their own journey yeah for sure i mean most of what you see is is embellished right yes. it's it's really simple what especially again it's different if you are trying to get to any kind of an extreme mm. If you're trying to get photo shoot ready, stand on a podium, stand on a stage, compete at the highest level, yep. all of this goes out the window. Right? Sure. For the most part, though, there's nothing new. I mean, human physiology hasn't meaningfully changed in thousands of years. So, like, mm. we understand how the body works. We've understood how the body's worked for a long time. Yep. Anybody who says that they figured out some new way to hack something, it's just total bullshit. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that process isn't relevant it means that they figured out a new hook to do something that for whatever reason is kind of appealing and uh there's lots of examples like this like the ketogenic diet is low carb dieting Mm -hmm. i mean atkins diet like you could i mean this thing has come and gone 10 times in the last yeah it's just it's there's nothing new there and really what we know about dieting is that the majority of diets work through basic calorie restriction. That's right. When you diet, you pay more attention to what you eat. When you pay more attention to what you eat, you naturally eat fewer calories. Yes. That's kind of just how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to say, I mean, there's always going to be intolerances. There's always going to be special circumstances, but at its core, that's kind of how it is. And training's kind of the same way. There's this process called EPOC, you know, excess post-oxygen consumption. Mm-hmm. And what, what that means is that there's a thermic effect of exercise. When you lift weights, when you lift weights, there's always going to be some sort of excess calorie consumption that happens after the fact. So, you know, how many calories you burn during a workout versus how many calories you burn after the workout as a result of that workout. You're yes. going to, you're going to, if you, if you lift weights and strength train and work out your muscles versus do cardio, you're generally going to burn more calories after your workout mm-hmm. as a result of this. That is a really marketable physiological process. Yeah. And so we see this all over the place. Six pack shortcuts was based on that. Orange theory is based off of that. There's just so many of these things come and go and just market the same thing yeah. over and over and over again. The reality of it is that the basic principles are very, very simple. If you pay attention to what you eat, you are probably going to eat considerably healthier without even thinking whether you're going to do anything different. Yes. If you, the best fat burning exercise, these are very generalized statements, but they're they're pretty true, right? The best fat burning exercise is to do something that you're shit at. (laughs) <laughs> that's so true once once you get good at it 
doesn't mean it's not an important movement of exercise. It just means it becomes shittier and shittier at fat loss. Like, like there's this, you know, there's this argument of like, oh, was running good for fat loss? It's like running's great for fat loss if you're a shit runner. Yeah. Like once you become a good runner, it's it's a really bad fat loss burning exercise. Yep. It doesn't mean that it's not an important thing to do. I mean, I'm not, this has nothing to do with cardiovascular system and cardiovascular health. It's just pure fat loss, right? Yep. <laughs> and so you know, you, you think about these things and they're just so basic, but like, you can't sell any of these things. No, that's and true. So, you know, big, the big fitness, you know, greedy, big fitness marketing machine is always going to try to wrap up stuff into a, like something that seems innovative because you can't sell improvement. You've got to sell innovation. Yeah. It's just a key to marketing. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, they wrap it up into something that sounds innovative, try to get some science to back up. I knew the guy who did, who worked for, I won't, I won't say who it is. One of the major companies out there that does this kind of stuff all over the place. Okay. So it's chocolate and coffee and ketogenic diet stuff and all over the place. It just like outrageous, like five times the price of it should, because they figured out like they basically built a brand around it. Right. And his job was, I mean, he quit because he just didn't, it was awful, but his job for, for the longest time was to find any kind of research that they could spin to make it seem like it backed up the claims of whatever the company wanted to sell. Wow, really? It was literally like, we want to sell coffee at five times more than it than we should sell it. Yeah. Um, go find me research that makes the other guys look bad. Okay. Or f- go find me research that you know the other guys didn't 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 figure out the marketability on. Mm. And um and and with coffee, there's you know, there's basically fungi that exists in coffee and um, it's, it's bad stuff. It's bad for you. There's no question, but all coffee produced anywhere that you're ever going to drink in the first world has had this stuff removed from it for the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. But nobody's marketed that. And so this company found all of these studies showing all the scary stuff in coffee and said, we've taken this stuff out. Well, everybody's taken that stuff out. Right? And then all of the other companies are like, we took it out too. Yeah, right. That's just coffee production, right? So I, all of this to say, um, you know, finding a coach that you resonate with, that you connect with, mm. and just listening to them is kind of the most important thing. It all works. <laughs> It doesn't work if you keep bouncing back and forth, but if you move your body yep. and you pay a little bit of attention to what you eat, it will work. Yep. hundred percent. Right. That's a good point. Actually rapport with uh, a coach is huge. Yeah. It's, it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. 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 Huge. You've got to, you've got to have that trust, that transparency, that honesty, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not following that, that sort of mantra, then like you said, you're going to bounce from coach to coach to coach and really go around in circles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic, mate. Um, Look, we might wind things up now. I'd love to um, just ask you that final question, which I ask everyone on the podcast, which um, is more of a personal insight into you. Um, and that is, who would you invite to dinner? Who would you have over if you could invite anyone to dinner? It could be fictional, non-fictional, male, female, alive, dead, 
give yeah. give you an opportunity to sit down and have a great chat over uh, you know good uh, a good meal and maybe a glass of wine. To be honest, I I had it wasn't a dinner; it was a breakfast. Okay, I had breakfast with him. Nobody, nobody that my guess is anybody here would have heard of, but his name is Rory Sutherland. Okay. And he is the VP of marketing and leads the behavior change unit at Ogilvy and Mather. In right. Okay. Fascinating. Search, yeah. searches, searches, Ted talks, Rory Sutherland. Okay. And, and you'll see what I mean. Oh. And so he's, he's kind of my hero. Um, and it's, it's weird. Cause like, I don't know. It's a weird hero to have, but it's just, you got to cut through so much nonsense. Right. Even mm. down, I mean, I was joking about Zoom before. Why did Zoom change its interface yeah. and put the, you know, the participant, add the participant to the top in a button and change the way that the note looks that Leslie says to say that the meeting's being recorded? Uh, it's such a massive waste of resources and attention. And it's basically just a way to like for engineers to justify what they were doing. Like there were probably studies done on, you know, just cause you can collect data. doesn't mean that it's important. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't. And so maybe it's a bit better interface, right? But did anybody complain about it before? Like, so there, there's so much of stuff like that. And he really just cuts through that. He, he cuts okay. through, his, his famous example is the trains in the UK. Mm. He's fascinated by transportation and talks about, talks about the trains a lot. <laughs> and, and his famous example is in, in London, they spent $2 billion to make the trains from, I can't remember where it was, London to somewhere else, go 30 minutes faster. New railway wow. tracks, new trains, whatever it is. Yep. It's like, for a hundred million dollars, I could have paid every single top model in the UK to walk up and down the aisles of every single train and hand out champagne. And people would have asked for the trains to be slowed down. <laughs> wow. So what problem are we solving? Yeah. And when you look at, there's another, there's another, um, uh, behavioral psychologist named Anthony Tasgell, and and he calls this the arithmocracy. Mm-hmm. This obsession with this with this arithmetic data driven thinking, where you know engineers, if you get an engineer to solve a problem, he's going to find an engineering solution. That's right. Well, most problems that involve humans cannot be meaningfully solved with pure engineering. Mm. And so Roy Sutherland leads the church with a lot of this stuff. And I just think his stuff is brilliant and it helps, helps keep me in line. I mean, it helps keep me in line, the business stuff. Most of, most of what matters can't be measured, but it's really hard to justify that to a board. It's really Mm. hard to justify that to senior staff, to, corporate people to investors. I mean, one of the main reasons that I've kept my company free from investment is because I don't want to have to justify decisions that I make with numbers. That's fair. 
And it's not that, I mean, numbers don't matter. We're very fiscally responsible. We have great financial analysis, but you know, most of what people do, I feel is kind of just protecting their jobs these days. Oh, hundred percent self-interest. Yeah. And anyway, so, so Roy Sutherland is, is my, and I, you know, he came through Toronto. He was, he came out with a book uh, that, that was great. And, um, and he came through Toronto to do like book tour and give a couple of talks. And so in, in two days, I sat in the front row of his talk at U of T and then I had breakfast with him the next morning. And then I went and watched another one of his talks in the afternoon. Oh, wow. That's how, that's how obsessed Marathon. I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm his biggest fan. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Oh, mate. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you giving up the time this morning. Well, it's not, it's morning over here, but not over there. Um, yeah. For anyone that wants to obviously um, have a look at uh, the Personal Training Development Center, it's uh, what's its website, and obviously you follow you along as well. Your your handle on Instagram is it's John Goodman. Is that correct? It's Coach Goodman. It's Coach Goodman. It's okay. Handle, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and the website for Personal Training Development Center is. Yeah, you can you can go there if you want. Thepttdc.com. Easy, easy, fantastic, fantastic. Oh, mate. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time once again and, and your insight. Um, it's always good to get someone else's perspective on health and fitness and just have a general chat as well. Thank you very much. Enjoy this. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. So thank you once again to Jonathan Goodman for giving up his time this morning. He's a big player in this industry and I was really uh, fortunate to get him on the podcast. So his insight into health and fitness and obviously the evolution of uh, online coaching and just learning in general uh, for those coaches and trainers out there is uh, is first class. And uh, I urge you to have a look at his uh, personal dra- personal training development center and follow him on Instagram. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Um, tag myself at Paul's Body Engineering and you can also tag Jonathan Goodman on It's Coach Goodman. Um, if you are interested in any of my coaching services, please jump on paulsbodyengineering.com. Uh, and as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.